Okay, with Andrew Way Bocock, uh, his his short screenplay was the winner of the Horror Underground uh, Film Festival. I'm going to I'm going to try to say it right. So Soli Dio Gloria, is that, am I saying it right? I think it's Soli Deo Gloria, but okay. I also don't speak Latin explicitly, so uh, yeah, that's my best guess. <laughs> yeah, that, that's what I, I. This is the first time. So I think there's that's the first the first time I've ever spoken Latin, and well, tried to I guess in the podcast. And it's the first time I think I've spoken to someone from Arkansas because you live in Arkansas, correct? Yeah. Um, although it's interesting because I don't, I don't, I'm not from Arkansas. I've only lived here uh, about a year and a half. Um, I am actually from California um, and it's kind of a long story how I ended up over here. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm a California native, grew up in Northern California, um, lived in Southern California up until the end of 2020. Uh, and then I migrated to uh, Northwest Arkansas. And so that's uh, that's where I'm currently at right now. Is there any particular reason that you're there? Yeah, um, there was just, uh, to be honest, it was, it was a, a combination of factors. Um, I have a really good friend who, who lives here and my wife and I visited a couple years prior, I think in 2019. And um, I, we both enjoyed it. Um, and basically what happened was during the pandemic, there was just a lot of factors, uh, one after the other. It was like the place we were living in LA prior, we just had a really horrible landlord. And then we had a horrible landlord prior to that. It was just like three horrible living situations in a row. And we're like, you know what? We both lived in California our whole lives. Maybe it's worth just trying life out somewhere else. So um, we just kind of took a wild stab and, and ended up out here. Um, and we don't, we don't know if we're going to stick around here for too long, but you know, we're just, we're, we're vibing it out still. Um, and it's, uh, it's been a very interesting experience. I've actually gotten to work on some interesting projects since I've moved here. I do a lot of uh, freelance remote work, doing some editing works, writing, um, and stuff. And a lot of my clients are still in LA, but, um, I, got in touch with a local studio here after moving here. And um, I've actually worked on some projects as a COVID compliance officer. Um, got to work on some pretty interesting indie films actually. Um, and some were really fun, some were horrible, uh, but that's sort of experience okay, in the industry cool. in general. So <laughs> it's almost like a, it's almost like it's a different country. Like yeah. from California yeah. to Arkansas. It's like yeah. different mentality, different vibes, right? Yeah, in a lot of ways, yes. Um, I mean, the yeah, it's it's there was a little bit of culture shock, I would say, um, to start out, but it is a, a little bit. It's it's a less, perhaps a less culture shock than if we would have moved to one of the mo- more remote areas of the state because we're right near the university here. So okay. there's a lot of like young. There's a younger crowd. There's a lot of like queer folks who live around here. So it's a little bit it's a little bit closer to a culture of something like LA than, you know, if we were just to move out into the boonies, so to speak. Gotcha. But still very different, but yeah. Yeah. You pay less taxes in Arkansas. Like a lot of people are moving from yeah. a lot of California, right? That was That's one good. of the biggest things too, is where we're like, okay, we could get, uh, we could live somewhere, pay less than half the rent yeah. and have twice as much space. Yeah. So that's another big selling point. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then like, cause it seems like it's like people are leaving California in droves. Like a lot of them are moving to Texas, I guess. Right. They're moving yeah. because of those variables. Right. Exactly. So yeah, it, it's interesting. It's a, such an interesting time. It's like for you to do that, that's a story in itself, I guess. Right. It's a film in itself. 
It's true. Yeah, very much so. So let's talk about your horror script. It's uh, really father-son relationship. Uh, you were in your bio. It said that you were you were you were training to be a preacher, and then you have a preacher in this script. I'm assuming you're not gonna, you're not that guy in the script. <laughs> no. Best, but yeah, not at all. Um, <laughs> yeah, I that was yeah. I, I grew up in a very religious background. Um, I had. By the time I was in high school, I actually had decided that, yeah, I was, you know, quote, called to ministry, so to speak. So I had actually decided to uh, go to Bible college um, and and get a degree doing that. But what, what ended up, it was actually kind of an interesting thing. I don't want to uh, go too far into this tangent, but yeah. what, what happened was I had a, a chance to graduate high school early um, because I, I had like enough credits from all the courses I'd taken and I, I'd really wanted to to kind of just you know kickstart my life after that but I'm really glad that my parents and, and uh, other teachers persuaded me not to because I got sort of some more breathing room over my last uh, year or two of high school and I, I got to discover more of what I really loved which was mm -hmm. film I took some film classes I got to direct my first movie um, my senior year um, I did theater. I did all this kind of stuff. So I, that's where I really kind of embraced a love for the arts. And that's sort of how I um, ended up getting to uh, decide. I mean, it, it became more of a conflict because I was like, I want to do this, this Bible college pastor thing. But then I also realized that my real passion was for the arts. So I, I went to Bible college to pursue that at first. And then I pretty quickly realized that this wasn't the path for me for various reasons. Yeah. Um, because my plan initially was to like, Oh, maybe I could be like the first like pastor slash filmmaker or whatever. But then I, as I started to dig into like, yeah. you know, some, some of the aspects of my religion I was raised with, I I'd realized, yeah, I don't really, I don't really believe this as much as I thought. And some of the stuff that I took for granted is problematic to me. Yeah. And that became a years long journey. So this script, I guess, uh, reflects some, yeah. the, the, the child character definitely, I think re reflects some, some things that I toiled with, um, in a, in a microcosmic way. And I guess I'm reading two to lines. That's like, there's a version of your father in this character, I guess. Right. Um, I would say that, you know, it's, it's interesting because I wouldn't say that he's very much based on my own father because my dad was not, uh, he was not very hard laced when it came to like corporal punishment or anything like that. Um, both of my parents, I think, let's just put it this way. My, uh, my upbringing was very fundamentalist, but thankfully not super violent. Okay. Um, so the, this was born more out of, uh, I think some, some of the stuff that I had witnessed and learned about around me, um, over the years and like some people who are close to me who seemed completely normal and nice and upstanding on the outside and turned out the, in, their internal, uh, family dynamic was very abusive but I did did see while I was there whether it was psychological or physical there was often a lot of religious justification for uh violence and abuse um and so because religious trauma is something I'm very passionate about exposing in my my own life and publicly actually yeah. um this this 
this story very much confronts that in a, in a very both symbolic and literal way. Yeah. It's a really, uh, really nicely written script. I, I don't know. I hopefully it gets made. It's uh, it gets made into a film and it's like the way you're describing it. It's like, but you're, you have, you separated yourself and serve the story, if that makes sense, the way you describe your, your experiences. And you really serve the story with this script and kind of have perspective on, on how you wrote it. I don't know if like, if that makes sense to you, what I just said. Yeah. 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 I think that that's, I, I, I like that you said that, you know, I, I, because yeah, some people would maybe take what they went through as a child and try to transpose it yeah. one for one for one. Um, but I did, I have mentioned before that actually a lot of this is specifically based on uh, the childhood of Ingmar Bergman. Mm -hmm. So it's heavily influenced by that and, and what he wrote about in his autobiography. Um, and Bergman was a filmmaker that I really identified with because his films confront a lot of religious themes and spiritual themes, even though he claimed atheism, it's just, he could never disentangle himself from these themes. Sure. They're just well, always showing up. Well, his dad was a preacher like your dad, right? Like, so. Yeah. Well, well, yeah, my dad wasn't a preacher, but his dad was. And his-, his Oh, so I thought your dad, was, sorry, I apologize. I thought your dad was a preacher. Oh, no, 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 yeah. My, my parents were both very religious and devout, um, but but yeah, not I'm not a preacher's kid. Um, okay. That would probably add another dynamic to the whole thing. but. Yeah, his uh, his father was a preacher and very much a lot of the things in this script, not everything, but um, the, the broad strokes, like where he wet his bed and then he humiliated him by making him wear a dress and then uh, shoving him in a closet. But, you know, what's interesting is I took those aspects and then I made a horror story out of it because yeah. I saw the horror elements that were in Bergman's childhood, because one of the things that his father in the true version of the story uh, that he wrote about, what his father would tell him was that I believe uh, when he locked him in a closet, he said that there were monsters in there that ate children's feet. Um, so he tried to instill like this extra layer of, of horror and fear in his child to like set him straight. Um, but I felt like there was enough horror going on in the abuse itself where I, any horror that I wanted to add would be super, superfluous unless it was just very sort of fantastical and shocking. So that's what I kind of went for, like in the final act. <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, it's, it's such an interesting, like the way you're describing it, it's almost like this is, this is a film. This is like a feature film or even a series. Like it's like yeah. this, these kind of dynamics, like you're, you just described like about like um, religious, you call it religious abuse or, or religious trauma. So it's actually become a uh, it's now I don't think it's officially acknowledged in the DSM the last I checked, but there are lots of psychologists who coined this term, I think, about 10 years ago yeah. called RTS, religious trauma syndrome, yeah. which is something that myriads of people probably millions of people are actually going through and don't even realize it where they're raised in a religious context and they're instilled with a certain ethic or certain abusive beliefs that they internalize over their their childhood whether it has to do specifically with the theology or just the way that they are having to be raised mm -hmm. in an authoritarian authoritarian uh dynamic yeah where it's where you're disappointing god if you do this like 
say you're disappointing God if you masturbate, you, you're disappointing God if, if you dress a certain way or if you celebrate a certain holiday. Like there's just so many of these things that people right. internalize and don't. And I'm even personally still starting to realize in my own therapy things that I didn't even realize were issues that I've internalized. Like God fearing. It's like it's like you're like it's like a cultish kind of like I don't want to really be down on on religion, but basically it's like a cultish kind of reaction. We were like, yes, you're yeah. this, this person who doesn't exist well, or maybe, or maybe exists, but doesn't exist in the, in the real world. Yes. We can't physically touch them. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to balance, balance here, but basically and yeah. so you're, you're like, you're like having this guilt or this fear for something that's not, doesn't even, is not even there. Right. I guess. Yeah. And, and, the, but what's ironic about it is that it is there. Like it has been built up in your brain, but yeah, yes, that's, that's, you know what I mean? Like, is, I mean, in a physical state, in a physical, yes. And yeah. in, in a provable, like yeah. actual, yes. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And that's, what's, what's fascinating about it as well is that when you have um, so many people who subscribe to, okay, well, the Bible says this, the Bible says a million different things that obviously there's thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of by now, different congregate, different subversions of Christianity that have evolved over the last couple thousand years. And people, um, again, they, they go through and they internalize some of these beliefs. One of the, um, one of the things I saw uh, like a, I don't know if a meme or just a quote that was posted online. Um, I apologize if I don't know who to attribute this to, it could be just anonymous. Somebody posted, but it was so apt for what I felt. Somebody posted something that said, um, what spiritual trauma or religious trauma, and this in a more literal sense, what spiritual trauma looks like is somebody handing you an inner critic and saying it's the voice of God. Yeah. So, so it's sort of like these beliefs are like people think, uh, have, especially people raised in a uh, extremely religious context, struggle for so long even if they leave that behind um there are these traumas where they feel guilt about things that that are just completely normal um that they've never had to reconcile like i i tell my wife sometimes like hey this thing that i that i'm struggling with i intellectually know that there's nothing wrong with it but my, my emotions don't match up with that yeah there's there's still something inside of me that that feels wrong Mm-hmm. Even though I know it's not wrong, it's it's this weird divide. It's trauma. Like I can relate from a from what, what exactly what you just described it because it's like it's like a, it's like it's like whatever whatever trauma you go through, depression or whatever like that. It's exactly like you're having this this traumatic experience in your childhood or in your adulthood, and you like you come to the realization in therapy that from an intellectual level, you've you've resolved the conflict, but emotionally it hasn't caught up to your intellect yet. Like basically, I think that's what you're saying, right? Like it yes. hasn't, it yeah. hasn't caught up. So you're still doing stupid stuff or you're, you're still in your own little, like, um, like something's holding you back, even though yeah. intellectually you've already figured it out. Yeah. So I know, sorry, I, I'm just paraphrasing what you just said. I just let, yeah. I'm, I know exactly what you're saying. It's like, it's very difficult to overcome, I guess. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And again, so many people just don't even, even, they don't even know. Yeah, that these like not. again, I, I I feel like I've been um, deconstructing my beliefs for I don't know a decade plus at least in, in regards to my religious beliefs, 
but like I'm only very recently starting to realize that I haven't emotionally dealt with these things. I've spent so much time trying to unwrap my brain, like my, my intellect from it, that there's this whole other component I haven't dealt with that now is like just bearing itself. <laughs> and what you're describing, like you're talking about like the religious trauma, there's a certain power for organizations that do not want this to be a mainstream issue. They don't, they don't want this to be, to come out. Right. They think like, it's like, yeah, this is, they're holding that back. Well, one, they probably don't believe it in their mind, but they're right. like, this is not, this is not like uh it's not good for business, I guess, basically. The best yes. <laughs> very much. That's very much the way to, to, to put it. Um, yeah. yeah. Cause when I actually had finished up my first draft of this uh, script, I was, I was in the middle of reading a lot of reading and listening to a lot of podcasts about cults. So I think that it was just on the brain a lot. There's yeah. so many cults that have nothing to do with Christianity, but obviously there are so many, especially a lot of um, like Mormon sects um, that I did. I had no idea about until yeah, like last year that have these just really fascinatingly strange perspectives about, you know, when Jesus is coming back and like yeah. what, what, what you're supposed to do to prepare for it. I mean, I was raised in my evangelical context with a lot of that too. Like what there is as, as a, just to give one random example, you know, as a 12, 13 year old kid who's going through puberty, like my friends and I would be like, I hope Jesus doesn't take us away before we get to like get married and have sex. Cause like you have to wait until you get married to have sex. Yeah. And like, that's like this amazing sounding thing when you're like 13, 14 years old. Yeah. But then if, if Jesus decides that to come back and to rapture all of his people before that, it's like, Oh, I never get to experience that no matter how awesome heaven is supposed to be. um, Why you got to leave me hanging God, you know? (laughs) Well, what is it? The opposite of that is that, is that the, the Muslim extremists, didn't yeah. they think that after they died, like if they do some terrorist, whatever attack or some in their minds, uh, yeah. a good thing that there there's going to be like 20 virgins when they die. Seven, like, 70. That, well, which is like <laughs> not the best person to have sex with one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just like, I, I, sorry, know, I, did, yeah. I just be crass there, but basically but it's sort of like, it's interesting right. that that's, but that's the opposite of what you just described, right? That they're like, I can, I'm ready to die because I know, great things are going to happen for me when I die, I guess. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, if you're what a do, sexist, what a sexist uh, thing point of view. It, as well, it, it is too, but, but that, see, this is an interesting conversation to have in and of itself because religion by its very almost definition, obviously there are new religions that are bursting up that claim to be completely just carte blanche, something entirely new, but that is more true than anything else. That's typically the, the claim, especially in cults. But most the the big world religions obviously have such a history and they're so in, antiquated. So if you look at something like Islam, um, it's, it's younger than Christianity technically, but like they, they also haven't had enough time to catch up with the times, so to speak, mm-hmm. right? Um, like they, they don't have the, the like 300 year head start that, that Christianity sort of has where, you know, several hundred years ago, there were all of these, like, you know, uh, you had all of these, what do you call it? Um, 
I forget what you call the uh, the priests who who. Oh my God! Why am I blanking? Child, on the, like the, like uh, like sexual like child like. Sexual. No, no, I'm talking. I'm thinking of the, uh, the the martyrs where they would bring them to court and uh, inquisitors. That's what okay. I was thinking of. So so you had that going on, and all these people like essentially, it's not a one to one for like the suicide bombers nowadays. But there is that approach where, um, well, if you can't be pure, then God will honor you in your death kind of thing. And there's still plenty of people who believe that kind of stuff. But it so minimizes the importance of actually living your life, like living the life that we're living here with each other and trying to be good to one another. Mm-hmm. Um, the Christianity and the, the, the structure of, say, Jesus, like, I think functions well for a lot of people in that it counterbalances like Jesus has a very specific ethic that that is accessible in a lot of ways when people chew on like be good to your neighbor a b and c matches up with the golden rule so you get some a lot of counterbalancing to some of the more extreme beliefs um and yet yeah it's just it's it's when you go back to the 70 virgins thing right it's like that is, like you said, very sexist, yeah. but it goes back to a time and place where women were property, you know, so like a virgin was worth more than, than not. So it, it has, it's almost like, it just has to do with like almost a monetary reward. It's like you get this woman, but also they're virgins. So, yeah. they, so their worth is intrinsically more. It's, it's this idea of purity yeah. built into it as well. Um, so yeah, and I, I talk about I, I I touch on a little bit of the theme of that stuff in my 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 short little script too. I try I know it's a little dense because I try to pack in some some yeah, heavy totally. themes, <laughs> but I do talk about like gender and sort of uh, there's a conversation. Probably the only long conversation in my script is about at the dinner table. Um, why do why, first, why don't we see God? But then it, the subject gets into once you see Augustine in his dress that his mm-hmm. father makes him wear. What, like, they, they talk about why do women wear dresses? Well, okay, it's because they, um, it's so they don't ruin their clothing when they, when they have their periods. Yeah. Like, that's, that was really a belief that people had. And that's supposedly when people were designing clothing, um, that was a thought for, for how they wanted to design dresses for women. Mm. Um, no matter how strange that belief may be or whatever nowadays, um, some of the ideas of how women and men dress are still based in these old ideas we haven't fully yeah, it's, it's past yet. The past is always there, right? Like it's, it's what you're basically yeah. saying. It's like we the the traditions or the customs kind of change through the through they evolve or change. But there's still yeah. that hint of like of the beginning seed, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah. Who who we are? Yeah, it's this is it. This like I said, this is a bigger. This is a bigger. There's a lot. Of, there's a lot to pack into into uh, what you're describing in your themes, right? Because it's like as we said, like this. This is not a mainstream conversation yet. This is not maybe like it, maybe it won't be for a while. But it's like this is like obviously this is a big thing and like. We all have degrees of it, right? Like I like the the minimum degree I had is that I remember having like wanting to like someone my parents wanted me to go to Sunday school, and because uh, my friends were and stuff like that, I'm from like a white kind of like suburban kind of upbringing, and uh, I remember hating it so much, 
and just like do not want not wanting to go like just thinking it was like the 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 worst waste of my time and then like trying to convince my parents not to go and eventually that happened but having that guilt of like well maybe i'm a bad person because like you know what i mean because it's like christianity in god is like is even though we're kind of like a a, a country that not it's not god and, and religions it's not supposed to be about that but it kind of is about that right like it's it's around us all the time right so right so, like it's i think everybody but basically what i'm saying is everybody can kind of relate to what you're describing on on a certain level i guess right yeah and i, I mean i actually uh, brought this up in another conversation i was having recently too is that even though um I showed this script to some some people. I, I actually showed it to uh, a, a Hollywood producer. Um, I won't name names, but um, the first it, this was somebody who I knew who had worked on like faith based films. And I, I frankly, I don't even think he's like a Christian to my knowledge. He just works in the faith based industry because he's like, oh, OK, well, I know Christians like this kind of thing. And I know mm-hmm. the, the, this is just a, a kind of a market. Um, so yeah. but uh, I, I got to work on with this guy on a project and he, he was a really nice guy. And I, I really I really liked him. So I decided, hey, um, would you be willing to take a look at the script? And, and he took a look and he was like, uh, I could tell he was like cringing a little bit because he, he was like, um, this is really well written, but um, like, dude, you live in the Bible Belt, and like, yeah. I don't know how people are gonna like react to this. <laughs> I'm, I'm laughing, like, because... <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah, and, and I know. I was like, it's funny too because I showed it to a Christian friend of mine, and he was, and I even brought up that concern, and and he said, you know what? But the fact of the matter that that you're placing it in a different time and place actually might feel like enough space for people. Like, if this produ- gets produced. Um, people might have enough distance versus if I was telling a a story about a church in 2022, Mm -hmm. you know, and then using this symbology and, but I, even the figure, this like monstrified zombified Jesus that I use, it's a very specific Jesus, right? It's, it's inspired by this painting that, that August sees. Um, And it's a very white Jesus, um, which is not, you know, whether or not you believe Jesus was, quote, actually real. I mean, most historical accounts agree that a man named Jesus. There is a version. Probably, yeah. gotcha. there, is a, there is a real version of this man that existed at the very least. Yeah. He was probably not white, at least it's not this this type of white that we see in all these paintings. Yeah. He probably didn't so speak the, English, right? Yeah, probably not. <laughs> and, and he so so yeah, I I kind of honed in my um, theme a little bit from when I was first creating it and I wanted it to be this just overarching critique of religion. And I was like, you know what's more important is to critique a very specific kind of religion. Yeah. One that one that idolizes this white Jesus that represents these quote American values that um are not even quote biblical if you want to use that language yeah yeah well listen and at the same time this is a pretty uh big topic that's happening in in the, in the united states right now where obviously you're living like we talked about you lived in arkansas very divided country let's just put it that way right like lots of like you know they just the the, uh, the supreme court just did something that I never thought in a million years would happen. Yeah. So like, it's like, there's always, it's that religious connotation to it, right? There's that religious, it's always there, right? And it's also like the the white person kind of like, uh, 
fear of like other, you know what I mean? There's, there's a lot going on. So I think that what you're describing is, is very timely. So mm-hmm. if like, and I think it's like, I know you're going to, but that's, that's controversy. Right. So I think that the producer, whatever, I think there's, there's money to be made, I guess, if you're going to look from a capitalistic standpoint with yeah. your ideas and with your story, because I think that it's there, it's like, it's, it's, it's on the surface, right. It's not, it's not buried anymore. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you have um, other artists who, who maybe even still subscribe to the faith who've been, sort of kicking around this topic in a sense. I mean, yeah. Scorsese has obviously um, as a very yeah. Catholic man. Yeah. I mean, silence, it, the, the film silence is very much about uh, doubt and like what relevance your faith actually has mm-hmm. to the horror you see around you in the real world. And it, it challenges those deeply held beliefs. And I think that like, I, I, I heard, um, I, a few years ago, um, I had some, some friends actually one, uh, the college, the university I graduated from, the Christian University Biola, I had some friends there who um, knew Scott Derrickson, the uh, director. He's you know done the new what's that new movie, The Black Phone. He did okay. Doc, Doctor Strange, Sinister, um, yeah. and and he he actually went to Biola. He and he has an evangelical background, um, and it's it's very interesting because he's he's such a fascinating thinker. Um, and something that he said years ago, I remember him posting about was he's like, whenever I'm writing something, I always have to make sure that whatever my deeply held, most deepest held convictions are, I need to lay those out bare and I need to challenge those very, like those deepest convictions. Yeah. Otherwise my art is not worth anything, basically. I think that's a good, that's a good, that's something you should just do it in general. I think that you should always look at the opposite side of your conviction, right? Like kind of like, see where you're at like that's how you learn that's how you grow as a human right so yeah like i think that what he just described is something that we should be doing in general i guess right exactly (laughs) and that's when you have a good story the conflict has to feel real you know the devil's advocate has to feel like a perspective that's you know we're, we're we're not in a society i think for the most part anymore that um that will just bend to um you know, just having a very one-dimensional villain um, it, it, anymore. I mean, that's that typically when you get a film that's like poorly reviewed, it's like, oh, these characters didn't make sense. This the character motivation, yeah. I didn't buy it. What it, that's typically pretty um, common criticism that's levied at something that doesn't work, right? You have to believe that these at least feel like human beings that um see their point of view and understand yeah. their point of view their their what their motivation is and what they're kind of seeing i guess right so yeah which makes for dimension no but I, I think like i said i think that you're onto something uh uh with this it's like i think what the what the issue now is that and this is just my two cents is that is that everybody can be religious it's like whatever everybody, everybody can have their own ideology what's happening now is that people are trying are basically saying their ideology is better than yours and you, and it's on both sides of the of the aisle, right? Yeah. You you should believe what I believe. It's like you're, and if you don't believe what I believe, then you're bad. You're a bad person. And mm-hmm. then that's sort of where we are in the 21st century, kind of 2022 right now. It's like it's yeah. like everybody can you can you can go to church and you can just stay in the church, but then when it, they're coming out and saying you you don't believe in God, then you're you're you know what I mean? That's when that's when danger. That's what danger is happening now because everybody's like fighting with each other about ideology and it's like 
you know, anyways, that's just what I kind of, you see it every day on social media, right? So. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, we're all ideological beings and it's, yeah. it's hard to disentangle from that, but um, that's, that's where, that's where sort of that philosophy I laid out from Scott Derrickson yeah. comes into play, right? Where yeah. if you truly believe something and you believe it's worth something, um, it should stand up to criticism. And if you don't allow yourself for the evolution of your beliefs, then what value do those beliefs have to begin with? No, but at the same time, it's like if you're like believe in God, which most people do, and then if you if someone doesn't believe in God, then they're everybody's fine. Like they should, they, those two people should get along, right? Like you know what I mean. There shouldn't be any conflict there because everybody's yeah. got their own belief system, right? So they, anyway, it's like it's sort of like even pro-life, pro-choice. If you have a, a outstanding point of view on on pro on pro-choice, but if you have of your if you believe in in pro-life, then then you know what I mean? Like it shouldn't be a fighting. You shouldn't like fist, it shouldn't be fisticuffs, right? Like it should be like, yeah. you know what I mean? It should be democracy. The majority, <laughs> that's another thing. If the yeah. majority believes in one thing, then that should be the law, generally speaking, right? But yeah. Right. And yes, I guess when you brought up the whole Roe v. Wade thing, it's sort of like, that's the irony of the quote unquote democracy we're in, right? Is yeah. that we, when you pull the United States overwhelmingly, people even if they're pro-life people are in a general sense err on the side of liberty right but now we have this court system that is so ideologically skewed to one side that their perspective overall completely usurps whatever democracy we thought we had like how many catholics are on the go back to your how many catholics are on their supreme court board right yeah. <laughs> Compared to the percentage of Catholics in the United States. Like it's like Yeah. Isn't yeah, like, that's that's where it gets really yeah, sticky. There's probably more Catholic. I know there's I, a three, right? I think so. Yeah, I think you're correct there. So that's thirty three percent of the population, which is yeah. not thirty three percent of you know, anyways, but we can go on and on. Right? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. There's, yeah a, I mean, there's a fundamental basically what we're learning there's a fundamental problem. So and I think like I said, you wrote a great script. It's a great I hope we hope you get you're able to make it into a film. So it's yeah. like a, there. So me too. I'm 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 fighting tooth and nail to make it happen. Uh, money is just always the issue, especially if you're trying to make a period film. Yeah, so. and you want to make it you want to <laughs> yeah. make it right. Obviously you want to make this film right. So yeah. All right. Congratulations sure. on the win. Congratulations you. on your, on the things for the conversation. It's like, uh, we dived in some uh, pretty intense stuff. So, and it's like, it's a pretty intense script. So you're, you're a really good writer. So I hope I it gets made it. And, and let's talk again when it gets made. That would be wonderful. All right. Thank you so much. Thank- Soli Deo Gloria by Andrew Bocock. Black Screen, Music Cue, The Spring Melancholy, Johann Sebastian Bach. Fade In. Exterior Church, Rural Setting, Day. A sturdy, traditional-looking, high-steepled church stands lonely on the side of a dirt road. Several farmhands are carrying furniture through the open front doors of the church. Interior Church, Continuous, Single Take. Dolly into two men carrying a large, bulky, wrapped item. Crossing into the church foyer, all color fades to black and white. The farmhands continue forward until the sanctuary altar. They unwrap a ragged oak pulpit, standing it upright. August Richter, a tow-headed boy of twelve, walks into frame, looking ahead at the pulpit before turning around and admiring the structure of the church with a sense of awe. 
The voice of Reverend Gustav Richter booms from out of frame with a slight German accent, panned to reveal a tall and skinny man, barely forty and slightly balding, in his pastoral garb. August, do not rush ahead. Try to be of use. He's fine, Reverend. This here's the grand finale. Dolly into the foyer. Two farmhands holding a large covered painting. They gently set it down, uncover it, then hang it up on pre-placed nails in the wall. End single take. The painting is striking. Christ in the Realm of the Dead by Joachim Skovgard. In fact, it's perceived in full color, while the rest of the frame is still a stark black and white. August approaches the painting and marvels at it, observing the bright, pale Jesus, but oddly, he's more drawn to the ghoulish crowd below, and most of all, the snakes and skeleton being crushed beneath the feet of Christ. August cannot peel his eyes away from that skull. Footsteps. In walks the modestly dressed Anita Richter, 29, gaunt for her age, hand-holding her daughter Magda, a miniature spitting image of her mother. Mother, what is this painting? Well, that's our Lord Jesus, is it not? He's taking dominion over the evils of this world. Yes, but, I mean, who painted it? Oh, I don't know, dearest. It's truly divine, isn't it? It's scary. I don't like it. Magda, there's nothing to fear. See? The Lord is standing over all the evil. He has defeated it. August continues to stare at the painting's darker elements. Interior church, sanctuary, morning, black and white. Montage, Gustav preaching a sermon. His face is never revealed in full, but we see... Gustav's mouth delivering an impassioned sermon. Gustav's stern but expressive eyes. Gustav's hands tightly gripping the oak pulpit. Congregation staring ahead. The back of Gustav's head. Congregation in the background. Congregants clap, yield shouts of Amen! End montage. Anita, August, and Magda are singing along with the congregation. Anita is holding the hymnal low enough for her children to look and follow along with her. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Magda notices a silhouette of a cross on the floor next to the aisle, prompted by the morning sunlight. Her gaze then shifts over to the pulpit where she stares at the wooden cross on the back wall. Magda tugs on her mother's dress, and Anita bends down. Mother, I think God is here. Why, of course he is. He loves it when we sing to him. Anita straightens back up and keeps her finger pointed at the words in the hymnal, postured beneath her children's eyes. Are your garments, are your garments spotless? spotless? No. Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? During the Garments Spotless line, August looks at his white shirt cuff, stained with some dirt around the edges. He hides his cuff in his pocket and begins to tear up. Anita notices August weeping, cracks a warm smile, and places a soft hand on his shoulder. Cut to... Interior, Richter home, children's room, night, color. August lies awake in his bed, wide-eyed as the hymn continues to echo through his head. He groans, winces, and throws his duvet over his head. Interior, Richter home, children's room, day, color. Gustav and August stand next to each other, staring at August's bare bed, which has a large urine spot in the middle. August is frowning and looks sleep-deprived. I'm very sorry, sir. Are you? 
Gut. Gustav walks out of frame swiftly. August's eyes follow him, and his look morphs from concerned to terrified. No, father, please. No, no, father, please. No, I told you I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Gustav returns now holding a large wooden paddle. I know you are, August, I know. But God has given us rules to follow, and we must obey them. Gustav reveals a Bible in his other hand. He lays it on the bed in front of August. Proverbs 13.24. Please read it. August picks up the Bible, finds the passage, and recites it. He that spareth his rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes. Beat. I love you, son. Gustav presses his son's head firmly into the wet spot on the bed. August stares with disdain at the Bible. He cries out as a loud whip slowly repeats from off-screen. Gustav backs off, drops the paddle, and straightens his hair. He helps August off the bed. On your knees. August is red and disheveled as he drops to his knees. Gustav's hand is placed in front of August. August looks disgusted, but kisses the hand. Now, since this has become a repeat issue, there's one more step to your penance. Interior Richter home, kitchen, evening. Color. Gustav sits down at the head of the table. Anita and Magda are patiently waiting. Father, why is it nobody ever sees God? Well, men would perish if they see God in all his glory. So he has instead given us a path to him by our faith in Jesus. It also makes us more virtuous. What is virtuous? Virtuous. It means we become better people, and the Lord will reward us for it in heaven. Magda reaches for a bread roll. Gustav slaps her hand. Aha! Wait for August. Patience, Magda. It's one virtue. See? August walks in. He's wearing a loose-fitting red dress. Magda starts to giggle. August attempts to ignore her. Goodness! Is that... my dress? As it happens, it belongs to August today. Gustav, this is my only fine dress. You bought it for me to wear on special occasions, and... Surely this is far from appropriate. Dearest, today is indeed a special occasion. It's a day for teaching and learning. Anita looks puzzled and plagued with questions, but exhales softly and stares downward. Zan, would you lead us in prayer? August slowly extends his hands, grabbing his mother's and sister's hands. He hesitates and breathes deeply. Lord, please bless our food. Make it nourishing to our bodies that we may glorify you in all we do. Amen. The family begins to dig in. Lovely, son. Thank you. Father, why is August wearing mother's dress? Gustav chews and swallows before answering his daughter. Well, Magda, do you know why women wear dresses to begin with? Because they make us look pretty? That they do, dear, but that's not the reason. August... Do you have an answer? Bleeding. Speak clearly, son. Because women bleed down there. Precisely. See, God has deemed it necessary for women to bleed occasionally, after a certain age. It's punishment for Eve's sin in the garden. Childbirth would be painful, and the part of your belly that carries babies would bleed and cause discomfort once a month. That is just awful. Mother... Will I have to bleed too? 
This is just how God made us. Your mother is correct. But since women have this affliction that they are unable to control, dresses are designed so that this bleeding doesn't ruin their clothing. Then why is August wearing it? Some boys also have a certain affliction, and until your brother can learn to control himself better, we must also be punished, like so. The rest of the family is enjoying bites of their meal by now, but August sits firmly in his seat, tightly gripping his fork, frozen. His father notices. Eat up, son. August takes a single bite of his food and slowly chews. He pauses, then spits it back onto his plate as he stares at his father with subtle disdain. August, please. Something's the matter with your supper, son? Uh, I don't know. Beat. Gustav stands and slowly walks over behind August's chair. He grabs the boy by his hair and pulls his head back and leans down with soft, pointed anger. It is one thing to disrespect your mother's cooking. Gustav, dear, it is fine. He clearly doesn't feel... Gustav raises a finger at his wife, shushing her. But by doing so, you are also rejecting God's provisions. I will not stand for it in my home. My stomach, I can't... Gustav releases August. Very well. Gustav saunters over to a bookshelf, then returns. He places a Bible on the table next to the full plate and opens it up. Read to us. If you refuse to allow yourself bodily nourishment, the least you can do is feed your soul and allow us to benefit as well. Gustav returns to his seat. August begins to read. Before the, pe- before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father. Anita is visibly uncomfortable, but forces a smile at Magda. Magda frowns and slowly takes a bite as she stares down at her plate, her eyes welling with tears. Interior Richter home, children's room, night, desaturated. August is asleep in bed. A loud banging is heard. It seems as though somebody is knocking at the front door. August sits up. He notices that his sister is not in her bed. Bang, 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 bang. Interior Richter home, hallway continuous. He slowly walks towards his parents' bedroom, cracking open their door. They are absent, too. He is all alone. Bang, 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 bang. August slowly tiptoes toward the front door. Bang, bang, bang. August is now about to turn the doorknob. He slowly turns it and cracks the door to peek. He's unable to see anything outside, so he pulls the door all the way open. A terrified expression comes over him as he backs away. A loud gurgle and choking sound precedes a bloody and mangled arm grabbing August's shoulder. A loud vomit cough sound projects a big splatter of blood all over August as he falls backward. As soon as he hits the ground... Interior Richter home, children's room, dawn, color. He wakes up in his bed, yelling, waving his hands. After calming a bit, he looks under his blanket. What he sees greatly distresses him. Cut to. Gustav stares at his son, who is half-naked and crying. This has gone too far. Beat. Gustav boils to a burst of anger, slapping his son across the face. Why will you not learn? Interior, Richter home, hallway, day, color. Gustav drags August, wearing the dress, by his arm and tosses him into the closet. After slamming the door, Gustav inserts a skeleton key and locks the closet before walking away. August bangs on the door and yells from the inside. Interior, Richter home, closet, continuous. August throws a fit against the door. 
When his exasperation leads to exhaustion, he looks down and notices a sliver of light piercing beneath a doorway. The outline of a lantern. He feels around it to find a pack of matches. He lights the lamp and sets it in the center of the closet. As August sits back against the wall, he's immediately startled by a familiar gurgling and gasping. Out of the shrouded blackness from the far end of the closet, a figure crawls into frame, a brutally beaten and bloodied Jesus Christ with a gnarly crown of thorns, rotting flesh, and no eyes. This monster Jesus crawls slowly towards August and reaches out for him. August panics and attempts to kick the thing away. It grabs a hold of a piece of his dress. He's able to land a kick in the shoulder, causing a piece of the dress to rip away in one of the bloodied hands. Another brutal kick lands in the monster's face, causing a nasty crack and immobilizing it. August gains footing and stands up, grabbing the lamp and lifting it above his head. You stay dead! August throws his lantern down to the ground. Interior Richter Home Kitchen Day Color Gustav is reading a newspaper when he notices something off. Something smells. He also hears his son's yells growing desperate. He puts his paper down and swiftly walks to the hall closet. He pulls out his skeleton key. Back to Interior Richter Home Closet Monster Jesus's hand reaches out for August through the flames. Right before it can reach him, the door is opened. August rushes out. In doing so, he knocks his father over. Interior, exterior, Richter home, hallway, porch, continuous. August rushes out the front door, his dress flowing wildly. Gustav scrambles to get up and give chase, but on his way off the porch, he trips and twists his ankle in a nasty fall. August, you get back here and put out that fire. Interior, Richter home, hallway, kitchen, continuous. Anita swiftly descends the stairs, carrying Magda. Anita displays a bewildered look as she runs to the kitchen. Gustav? August? Where are you? She begins to cough and rushes in the opposite direction after noticing the open front door. As they pass by the open hallway door, Magda notices two bloody hands grip the fiery threshold. Her jaw drops. Mother! Mother! I just saw God! Shh! Quiet, dear. Anita pulls Magda's bonnet over her face as they exit the front door. Exterior Church Day August, in his dress, approaches the doors of the church, then stops and catches his breath. He opens the church doors. Exterior Richter Home Front Yard Day Color Gustav Richter is nursing his leg, when Anita sets Magda down and rushes towards him. She touches her husband's face and attempts to comfort him. Gustav! Oh, goodness! Let me help you. Don't move. Get off! Gustav shoves Anita away, and she falls back. She rises. As she dusts herself off, her pent-up rage now surfaces. You... you sick, sick man. This is all you're doing. Nobody else's. Fix it! Fix it, you fool! As he wallows, Gustav begins to cry in shame. Magda walks back towards the front of the burning house and up the porch steps. She peeks inside the threshold, wide-eyed. Anita turns around and notices. She runs towards her. Oh, heavens no! Magda! Exterior, interior, church, day. Color, then black and white. As August walks into the foyer, all color fades except his vibrant red dress. 
he makes his way towards the altar. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he was come from God. With all of his angry might, he pushes the pulpit over, and it cracks upon impact. He sits himself down on the broken pulpit and breathes deeply. He begins to shed quiet tears. He riseth from supper, and laid aside his garments, and took a towel and girded himself. August's dirty, tattered bare feet. Urine trickles down the boy's ankle through the torn dress and onto the floor. He poureth water into a basin, and began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Push down the aisle into the foyer. Pan right to see the painting, which is still in full color. Push in towards the skull and snakes beneath Jesus' feet. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? A slow, faint, clunk, 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 getting louder. Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. The church's entrance reveals Gustav, dirty, sweaty, and disheveled, limping inside. He drags himself forward to the doorway of the sanctuary, leaning against the threshold. Gustav stares ahead at August, sitting on the toppled pulpit. August stares blankly at his father. A body slowly pulls itself up from the ground behind where August sits. Monster Jesus, being birthed from the pulpit, slowly stands up behind August, straight and tall. Gustav is looking forward, aghast. As his jaw drops and eyes well up, he slides down against the threshold onto the floor. August continues to sit still, looking forward. Monster Jesus' head slowly lifts up his arms to where his head is. The hands remove a gnarly crown of thorns, and this crown descends upon August's head, almost as though he's royalty, being formally crowned with pain. The crown is pressed upon the expressionless August's head. We hear a nasty crunch sound as the crown is firmly fitted, and we witness crimson-colored blood dripping down the boy's black-and-white face. As we fade out to credits, the song, Are You Washed in the Blood?, carries us out. Post-credits. Exterior, Richter home, day, color. Anita sits on the lawn, crying and holding Magda, as we hear the crackling of the burning house behind them. Magda looks towards us. A tattered, bloody arm extends towards her, prompting Anita to look as well. They both stare up, aghast. It's August, in the form of monster Jesus, eyeless and brutalized reaching out to his family. The End